Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Take uh, your Bibles, if you would, this evening and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to be looking. And tonight we uh, continue in our study about uh, remaking our home uh, according to what God's desire and God's plan is for our life. We've looked at uh, framing values and uh, uh, keeping our foundation sure and uh, building a sure foundation. Tonight we're uh, looking at Another aspect of uh, what it means to to build a home that's uh, godly, and one of those aspects is has uh, relates to finances. Uh, most of the time, you don't want to talk about uh, money in the church because a lot of people uh, uh, have a problem with that. Uh, they always think that we're talking about. Whenever we talk about finances and money, we uh, people think that we're talking about giving money to the church. And some pastors have used those uh, financial sermons of, uh, about giving to the church. But that's not what I want to focus on tonight. What I want to focus on is when the bills come due. And uh, uh, we living in a time when uh, we have uh, very easily a uh, situation in which we can see uh, clearly what it what happens when we don't live within our means and uh, the the greatest uh, temptation whenever we're building a home or or buying a home is to build or buy a house bigger than what we can afford at the time, thinking that, well, as we get into the home, we'll be able to afford it. And as years go by, we'll be able to uh, uh to more than pay for it, and uh, we'll grow into it, and that's uh, usually what the temptation is. And and uh, we are just coming out of a, a recession that was brought on by too many people getting loans for homes that they really couldn't afford to buy, and and uh, being forced by the federal uh, banks, being forced by the federal government to uh, subsidize those loans for people that really shouldn't have had uh, those loans, and we had uh, the subprime lending crisis that happened in 2008 and, and all those things that happened at that time really led to the recession that we're just now beginning to see our nation come out of. And there's a lot of places, uh, a lot of rural areas like ours that are still uh, uh, enduring a lot of the difficulties and the hardships that come from that. One of the things that happened, though, at that time was is that if you were basically... Uh, uh, drawing air and had a pulse, you could go into a bank and get a loan. And you could not only get a loan for uh, what you wanted, but also what you wanted to do to the property after you bought it. And it didn't matter if you had 
a good credit or anything, they uh, they would let you uh, get that loan for that house. And a lot of times, they uh, people would even go in and try and get a loan for nothing down. They would try and get a, a house and not pay any down payment or anything like that. Now, if you've had your home for a long time, that's probably news to you. Uh, uh, that people would do that. And if you've had a home for 25, 35 years, like a lot of people have in this area that have lived in their home and had stayed in their home, uh, you probably already have your home already paid for, and uh, or it's a home that you grew up in or, or that you had for... Uh, in the family, and you just kind of passed it through uh, hand, one hand to the another family member. But there's a lot of people in, uh, throughout our nation that are trying to, to live beyond their means. And, and you see it in the cars they drive and the houses they buy. And uh, I remember uh, uh, several years back, uh, my brother and I went to Nashville for the Southern Baptist Convention. And we were driving around different places trying to find a, a, a quirky and a, uh, unexpected place to eat. We uh, we tend to get tired of the same old thing all over and over and over again. So we'd, we'd often save up our money uh, uh, with some meals and, and uh, spend a little bit of extra money on others. And we try and find some place that's... Uh, out of the way or are different from what we're used to and eat something that that we're uh uh haven't been exposed to before like moroccan food or or uh, a type of uh um asian food that we're not familiar with one time we went and ate uh uh, Indian food while we were out in Arizona, and and uh, that was an experience. And I, I found out real quick I'm not really partial to Indian food. Uh, uh, I don't know why some people like it so much, but uh, maybe we just didn't eat. A, uh, maybe it was because we we're eating Indian food in Arizona instead of somewhere where they're better known for Indian food. But uh, 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 anyway, we were driving around uh, Nashville trying to find something different like that out there, and. And uh, we went through one neighborhood, and, and it was kind of odd that uh, all of a sudden we we went through this area that just had these humongous houses, and it wasn't as though we had never seen big houses before. But uh, what was unique about it was is that you saw these huge houses that you would normally see on ten or twenty, thirty acres of property minimum. And they were on a, a short half-acre plot. You know, they were just stacked right beside each other like they were mill houses, you know. And Millville, if you've ever been in a mill village, my, my mom grew up in a mill village in Gastonia, North Carolina. And, and all the mill village houses were all uh, the same design right beside each other, really small cracker box uh, homes. And they were uh, houses that were built for the employees of the mill. And these mansions were that way. They were just huge mansion homes. Almost all of them looked exactly the same. And they were on these little small uh, postage stamp size uh, pieces of property, uh, barely big enough for uh, for the house that was on it. And it was kind of uh, odd. We, we coined the term McMansion because it was like uh, they'd been uh, churned out by McDonald's uh, uh, these these big houses and they were in this neighborhood that and they, like I said they all looked the same they didn't look any different uh, there are in our nation uh, people that are going through uh, 
financial strains because of this attitude. Um, the consumer debt has tripled in the United States since 1980. And the average American household has over $35,000 in consumer debt. And the average amount of credit card debt in the household with more than one card is now more than $8,000 according to cardweb.com. About 43% of American families spend more each year than they earn and personal bankruptcies have doubled in the last 10 years. That's, that's an amazing statistic to think about the debt that we're experiencing. And yet with all the debt, uh, there are some estimates that say we have uh, over 13 million uh, Americans who are considered millionaires. Uh, that's one estimation. There's a, uh, the lowest estimation is, is that there's 5.6 million Americans that, ha- that are millionaires. You want to know how many billionaires live in the United States? You know, I uh, uh, thought that uh, being a billionaire was uh, kind of a rare breed, but actually there's 585 Americans that are considered billionaires. That's a B with a B. I mean, that's billionaires with a B, uh, not M. Uh, for millionaires. I would have thought it was more like 585 millionaires, but uh, these are billionaires. Uh, we're, we just live in a society and a world that focuses on money and focuses on uh, the things that we have. And too often the case is, is that we uh, all want to live beyond our means. We want to, uh, it's nothing for people to be in debt. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned before, uh, that's what made us such a, uh, a ripe target for uh, the right crisis to come along and send a huge recession within our United States. Well, tonight I'm not going to talk to you about finances from the Wall Street Journal or anything like that. I'd like to talk to you about it from the Bible. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6, it says... But godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And first of all, he says, Godliness begins when we learn to be content with what we have. To be content with the things that God has graciously bestowed upon us. Now that's how we have to look at life and how we look at the things that we have, the things that we uh, don't have, that the, the measure of godliness is to be content with what the th- things we already have, content with what gain we already have. This is very contrary to those uh, who are out there that teach uh, uh, health and wealth uh, Religion. There's. Uh, I remember uh, when uh, I was uh, going to seminary out in Texas that there were several preachers that would come on uh, TV out there. And, of course, you're talking about uh, a big metropolitan area of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, there were, at the time that we were living there, uh, there were about uh, three million people that were living in Dallas and there were about a million people that lived in Fort Worth and there was another 
uh, one to two million people that lived in all the little, these little cities known as the mid-cities that were between Dallas and Fort Worth. So we're talking about a metropolitan area that had in excess of six million people. And, and as a result, there was a lot of people to be fleeced by these TV preachers, these televangelists. And it was about that time that uh, there was a particular TV preacher known as Robert Tilton uh, and W.V. Grant. These, these two preachers were notorious, uh, along with several others, that were all about preaching the health and wellness uh, uh, religion of that God, if you're not uh, wealthy, then God's not blessing you. And if you're not being blessed of God, there must be something wrong with you spiritually. If you're just simply spiritual enough, if you're if you're righteous enough person, then God's going to bless you with just an abundance of money, and you'll be driving around uh, Mercedes and Cadillacs, and you'll be dri- uh, living in a huge uh, home, have a vacation home down in in uh, the Florida Keys, and have a big yacht that you uh, uh, drive around out there in the ocean, and and you have maybe a private plane. And uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, TV preachers that got wealthy and lived that way off of preaching that gospel. And it, <clears throat> the problem with that is, is that it has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's how uh, why it's important for us to understand this. During the time, day and age of Jesus Christ, which Paul is writing uh, shortly after Jesus' uh, death on the cross, uh, Paul is writing these letters and he's talking to people about uh, the things that they have. Timothy, remember, is a young uh, pastor that he left in Ephesus to uh, try and and help to... uh, 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 bring up the church there and uh, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy about uh, these issues and uh, one of the things we have to remember is is that a majority of the people that uh, live during Jesus day live from day to day they uh, uh, the Bible talks about going out and if you're not uh, about the uh, labor being worth his pay uh, that all stemmed from the uh, understanding that if you wanted to eat that day, you had to work out in the field that day. And the things you did out in the field uh, correlated with whether or not you had something to eat that night. In fact, I'm sure many of you who are farmers probably lived under the same uh, uh, philosophy. You worked hard out in the field so that you could come in to the house that evening and be able to eat something that you produced out in the field. And if you didn't uh, produce a good crop or if if something happened and uh, you got uh, some kind of uh, 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 insect into your crops or or the weather was bad uh, it might mean that you might not eat uh, very well uh, as a result of that because of the crop being ruined well uh, that was the case for the people that lived during Jesus day uh, what they did out in the fields what they did with their hands how they worked uh, correlated with uh, how well they were able to uh, eat and provide for themselves. And many of them uh, looked with reverence towards those who were wealthy because for many of them, they saw that as a sign of God's blessing. Uh, That if you were wealthy during that time, that God had blessed you and given you an abundance, uh, usually it meant that you had uh, been able to... uh, uh, 
uh, uh, work extra hard and God uh, blessed you with a, uh, uh, the right rain or the right uh, conditions for your crops to come in and you were blessed uh, well. And so, uh, or, you know, also think about Abraham and how uh, he was seen as blessed of God because he had large flocks and he had uh, lots of possessions and he had lots of things. Well, this all related to uh, the fact that God had a covenant with Abraham and that God had blessed him, that God had given him all these things and made him a wealthy man. So it would be easy for the people of that day and age uh, as well as today to get the misunderstanding that uh, if you are wealthy, it meant that God blessed you. But we know a lot of people today who are wealthy that are not blessed of God, don't we? We know a lot of people that are wealthy uh, today that are simply ungodly people, and it, it certainly is not a sign of God's blessing upon them that they're wealthy. It's just a sign of, of them doing well. And... Uh, but people during Jesus' day, during the time of the Bible being written, saw being wealthy as a sign of great uh, blessings upon God. That's why when Jesus told uh, the rich young ruler that he had to go sell everything he had and pick up his cross and follow him, uh, that they were amazed at what Jesus was doing with that wealthy individual because they saw his wealth as a sign of great blessings of God. And then when he left, Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was saying, because why? It's because a rich man sees his uh, material blessings as the way in which he's taking care of himself. He has no place for God. And they were amazed. They said, well, how can anybody get into heaven if a rich man can't? Why? Because they saw wealth as a sign of being blessed of God and being close to God. And Jesus is saying wealth has nothing to do with your relationship to God. Wealth has nothing to do with whether or not God is blessing you. It has every, uh, uh, Your relationship to God has everything to do with, uh, with other things. And, and Paul here says that... Uh, the greater thing is not to have great wealth, but to be content with what God has given you. You see, a man who is wealthy, both in the time of the Bible as well as today, a person that's wealthy begins to depend upon their wealth, right? If we were to have... Uh, well, let's take, for instance, uh, what happened about six months ago when the uh, hurricane came through. Uh, those people that were uh, uh, had great wealth in their bank account and had great coverage uh, for things when the storm came through and and destroyed their home, many of them what what happened? Many of them they just picked up everything and and went and stayed in the hotel because they had money to pay for the hotel. They had insurance that would pay for the hotel, and and uh, didn't matter if the insurance co company didn't cover 100% of their loss. They had money to take care of it. But when uh, you see when uh, uh, the stock market goes down and people. Uh, 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 start losing the value of what they uh, the financial thing. That's when people start turning to God. People don't turn to God when they can uh, turn to their bank account because when they can turn to their bank account, they trust in themselves. Uh, 
for several years when I was uh, pastoring in South Carolina, I, I did mission trips to Central America, to Honduras. And uh, Honduras at the time, probably still is today, was experiencing a great amount of inflation, a uh, great amount of poverty. The people had next to nothing. And we went and did medical dental missions uh, trips down there to to Honduras and people were turning to God in droves and when we came back and told our folks in the church uh, the number of people that were coming to Jesus every day we we'd go down there for a week and have 300 people get saved during that week's period of time now first of all it was Jesus Christ working in their life the Holy Spirit drawing them to him but the thing that got them ready to receive the message of Jesus Christ was was not necessarily uh, the things that we were doing of providing medical attention and dental uh, care it was the fact that they were so far in the depths of despair they they were at the bottom they didn't have a government that was handing out welfare checks they didn't have uh, 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 food stamps that were coming to their home to take care of uh, making sure they had food. Uh, they didn't have somebody handing out vouchers for them to buy things that they needed at the store. Uh, when we went to the, uh, to tour the country, we saw that people were very poor and had very little. People would work out in the fields for a whole day and they would get uh, the equivalent of about $3 a day for, all, for working uh, from sunup to sundown out in the field. That's the hard work. Picking coffee beans and picking uh, 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 cocoa and, and other things out in the field. Uh, we'd go to, we went and toured a, a mall that was there in the capital city of Tegucigalpa uh, on our way back to uh, the United States. And uh, right as we are getting ready to go to the airport, they had uh, cereal and milk and they had toothpaste, all the things you'd find in, in our grocery stores. But the problem was is that uh, most people couldn't buy those things. A tube of toothpaste down there, uh, we spend a, a cheap tube of toothpaste here is a dollar, right? Uh, 85 cents is what I spend for my toothpaste. Uh, you, can buy, you can spend 4 or $5 on toothpaste here in the United States. But imagine that being what you earn in a whole day. Uh, now, are you going to buy that tube of toothpaste if that's, uh, you spend a whole day working in the field and that's all you can buy? Or are you going to spend that $3 to buy a gallon of milk or cereal for your family to be able to eat? You're, you're likely going to ignore uh, some things to buy the essentials, the things that you've got to have of rice and beans and, and other things that uh, will take care of things. Those people were in such need, they were ready and open for a Savior in Jesus Christ that's coming to help them in their problems. And these people in Jesus' day were the same way. They were ready and willing to, to accept anything. And they saw people that had great wealth as being people who were uh, blessed of God. And here Paul is saying uh, that you need to understand that the greatest thing, the great godliness, uh, righteousness is being content with the things that you have. He says in verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, 
Let us be therewith content. He's saying, <coughs> you're not going to be able to have anything in this life. When you leave this world, it doesn't matter what you've amassed. Bill Gates, who is uh, uh, one of the wealthiest men in, this, uh, in the world, who has billions and billions of dollars, he's going to leave this world the same way you and I do. One day he's going to die on a, uh, his deathbed may be uh, better appointed and he might have better doctors that can uh, care for him than most of us can. But he's going to still die one day and guess what he's going to carry out of this world? He's not going to carry any of those billions of dollars. He's going to go out the same way you and I do. Uh, uh, Bezos, that's uh, the owner of Amazon, uh, he's right up there uh, right with uh, uh, uh uh, Gates, he has $118 billion. $118 billion. He's going to leave this world the same way you and I do. He's not going to be able to take a bit of that $118 billion with him. He might have a fancier casket, might have a, 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 a fancier plot to be buried in, but he's going to be buried just the same. And he's going to carry out of this world the same thing you and I do. Nothing. Zero. Zip. And... Uh, Paul says, the things that we have, food and clothes, let's be content with the things that we have. But they that, that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and heartful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. What's Paul talking about here? Many people fall into all kinds of traps when they are seeking to find more and more. People uh, in the United States uh, work uh, uh, 60, 80 hours trying to get uh, to the next level on the corporate ladder or trying to be able to pay for that uh, uh, a fancy boat that they take down to the river or uh, out to the ocean for that beach house that's uh, down in Mexico Beach or whatever uh, it is. Uh, people are, are trapped by the things that they supposedly own and they do all these different things in order to try and pay for the stuff that they uh, hope to be able to have. Paul says those are traps that cause us to be further and further away from God. Um, for the love of money, verse 10, is the root of all evil. Now, I want you to read that again. Does it say for money is the root of all evil? Some people would have you to see that as, as how it's written, but it says for the love of money. If you love money, that's the root of all evil. And what does he say after that? He says, uh, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So what he's saying is, is that when you love something other than God, that is what causes you destruction. When you love money more than you love God, that's when you fall away from God and that's when you are pierced through. Uh, when your faith, it, it causes your faith to err 
and causes you to have all kinds of sorrow. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness and godliness, faith and love, patience and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So Paul says, look, what we need to remember in our lives, what we need to hold true in our life is are all of, of these traits of the Holy Spirit uh, of gentleness and kindness and faithfulness, all these things of righteousness and godliness and patience and love, those are the things we ought to seek. Those are the things that we ought to uh, fight for and contend for. He says, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold not of all of the things that this world wants to offer. I've had some wonderful relationships with some great godly people, but you know where many of them fall down? It's when they desire to have other people's money, when they desire to have great wealth. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not greedy after other people's money. Well, here's a test that I, I want to ask you. Let me ask you one question. It'll determine whether or not you want somebody else's money. What do you do when they come on the radio or on the TV and say, Tonight, the lotto number, it, the lotto prize is up to $100 million. Are you one of those people that maybe you don't play the lottery when it's, you know, 13 or $18 million, but when it gets up over $100 million or $300 million, what about when it got up to $500 million? Did you go out and buy your lottery ticket? Well, when you do that, you're hoping to win somebody else's money, right? Everybody else that buys a lottery ticket, they're wanting what? They're, wanting, they're not wanting just their dollar back that they paid for that lottery ticket. They're wanting your dollar, uh, their dollar and everybody else's dollar. And that's what you want when you buy that lottery ticket. You're wanting your dollar and everybody else that's played their dollar too. You're wanting all that money. And so you, that's called... In some circles, that's called stealing. When you take something that don't belong to you, right? Uh, that that's the that's the understanding of stealing. Or, uh, yes, no, maybe. If I take something that doesn't belong to me, what's that called? Stealing, right? Some of you act as if that, you're not certain about that. Um, if if I go out here and I. Uh, take somebody's keys and I, uh, or somebody started their car to warm it up and I go outside and I get in somebody else's car and drive it home and claim it as mine, what have I done? Stolen the car, right? That's taking somebody else's money that they've put into that car. When you go and buy a lottery ticket, you're taking somebody else's money if you win. That's pure and simple. You've taken other people's money that they've hoped that they've uh, gotten all the money. If you desire other people's things, other people's money, the Bible calls that covetousness. And one of the Ten Commandments is, is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or their servants or their Cadillac or car, well, they called it the ass or uh, at that time, their donkey. Uh, you don't covet uh, their mode of transportation. 
Uh, you don't covet the things that somebody else has had. So if I'm sitting here saying, well, I, 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 I don't sit there and look at my neighbor and wish I had his satellite TV or his, his Winnebago so I could go uh, uh, traveling across the country. No, but you might sit there and hope, wish that you had like what other people have. That's coveting. That's coveting what they have. And covetousness is when you put to action those desires. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery within your heart. Uh, Jesus said, if you even look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. He says, you've also heard that thou shalt not covet, but He says, if you look with desire and covet your neighbor's possessions, you've committed... He's basically saying you've committed theft within your heart. You've, you've already coveted that that your neighbor has, those things that your neighbor has. So what, what we're trying to get at, and what Paul here is talking about is, is what's really ruling your life? Now, most of us in this room would say it is dead wrong to go out and, and find some uh, oxycodone and take it, right? Why? Because taking oxycodone, if you're not prescribed by the doctor, uh, will cause you to uh, have... It, you get hooked on it, right? You, uh, you can get... Uh, you can also have a lot of health problems with it. Or uh, if you go, most of us would agree it's not good to go out and get methamphetamines and snort them. I don't even know how you take methamphetamines. How do you, do you snort it or you shoot it up or whatever you do with it? I don't know. Uh, uh, cocaine. I, I remember cocaine. I know what you do with cocaine just because I've seen it on TV. I, everybody here knows it's, it's wrong to get cocaine and snort it up. Uh, or crack and, and shoot it up or, or whatever. All of us agree with that, right? Now, primary reason it's wrong is not only the damage it does to your body, but that it's your uh, devoting yourself to that drug more than you devote yourself to God. That's ultimately what it is. When you become addicted to anything... You are showing your love. It's the same as going out and building an idol to a false god and giving everything that you have and burning it on the altar to that false god. Because don't get me wrong, when you get uh, addicted to methamphetamines, what are you likely to do? You're likely to give up everything you have in order to get more of it. You're likely to go and steal what you don't have in order to get more of it. You might as well be taking everything you have and burning it on the altar to the God of methamphetamine. You'd be better off if you did that. And the reason that's wrong is, is that you're devoting your love for that over your love for God who says, only love me. So when you love money and the things that it can do for you, you're showing more love for that money and for those possessions than you're showing towards God. When you have a righteousness in your heart, Paul says, and the Holy Spirit is telling us through the words of Paul, that we need to be content with the things we have. Why? Because when we're content with the things we have, we're showing that we depend upon God for all that we have, not on money possessions or job, whatever it may be. When we love God 
more than we love other things. We, it doesn't matter if we have a big house or a small house, whether we have uh, the finest clothes or the cheapest clothes you can buy at Goodwill. Uh, when we uh, love God, then we don't care if we go on fancy vaca- vacations or we uh, have a staycation at home. When we love God more than we love other things, it doesn't matter if we have designer shoes or designer clothes and all the things that our neighbors have. We're just happy to have shoes for our feet and clothes for our body. So if we trust God, we love God, we depend upon God, if we expect God to take care of us, it doesn't matter what we have because we know that God is going to give us those things. It doesn't matter if we have the riches of this world. We know that God cares for us. Paul is telling us that the Holy Spirit is instructing him to tell Timothy, and he tells us, be content, because when we are, we're closer to God. We're showing godliness when we are content with the things that we have. It's a greater gain than any great wealth that we can have. When we love God more than we love other things, we don't love money. We see money as simply a tool to serve God, to live for Him, to exalt Him with all that we have. And when we love God, we don't allow money to take control of our life. So tonight, who do you love? Do you love great wealth that gives you uh, fancy cars and uh, designer clothes? And do you love a great job that can get you anything and everything that you want? Or do you love God who provides all of your needs, gives you the things that you need for life? Do we bow at the altar of a job or uh, wealth or possessions? Or do we bow at the altar of God? Trust Him to care for our needs. Trust in Him to provide. Trust in Him to help us to meet our needs day in and day out. Let's pray.